Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Fixed Income Conversation Corner podcast series here on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us today in studio, glad to welcome back Leslie Falconio, head of taxable fixed income strategy for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Excited to welcome our guest, Alex Obeza of T. Rowe Price. Alex is a portfolio manager with the Fixed Income Group. So with that, Alex, Alex, Leslie, thank you both for spending some time today with our listeners, our clients. Leslie, I'll pass it over to you to lead today's conversation with Alex. Thank you, Dan. And, you know, thank you, Alex. I really appreciate you you coming on to this podcast. And I can't think of a better time um, to have you on, particularly on the fixed income side, because, you know, as you and I know, are well aware of being in the fixed income business for such a long time. There's been periods of time where it was actually quite boring. Now is not the time that it is, so we like the fact that, that you're here, and we really appreciate you taking the time. Sure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, okay, so I just wanted to to really dive right in. I mean, this year has been um, a bit of, from the CIO perspective, a bit of a shock in the sense that how resilient the consumer has yeah. been, how resilient the economy has been. You know, we've never have really been, there's going to be a severe hard landing, but I have to say, when we look at third quarter uh, projected GDP, this above trend growth, you know, there's a lot of resiliency that, you know, the, our fixed income has not anticipated. You know, we've had a preferred allocation to fixed income over equity, a large part due to the carry in the, in the yield that we're earning, and we're going to have a conversation about that in a bit. But I really just wanted to just, you know, take a moment to see what kind of opportunity set you see in the asset classes, what you're looking at right now, and just your, your bigger picture outlook. Sure. Yeah. So starting with the opportunity set, I think when you look at the ultra short-term bond space. It's really a compelling opportunity right now. Just a quick way of background. Um, what we do with, with ultra short, it's targeted as an alternative to traditional money market funds. And our goal is to deliver an incremental return, some incremental yield for folks that are looking to do more with their cash allocations. If you don't have an immediate cash need, looking at that, that pickup versus traditional money funds. So I think in the current environment with the inverted yield curve, that really benefits the ultra short space where we have slightly over a 6% yield right now is, is um, holds up pretty well versus a, a lot of different areas of fixed income. If you think of ultra short bonds generating that excess return versus money funds, you know we really have a lot more flexibility with these types of products. Um, we can go, cast a wider net and go deeper where money funds are really restricted um, by a lot of regulations. Th- this allows us to, to put more yield into the portfolio. Um, and you've seen that play through in returns this year, where uh, year-to-date uh, ultra-short funds are, are up um, about 100 basis points versus versus money funds. So uh, a really compelling return. And and when you think about um, how that plays out over the long term, the power of compounding is really powerful in this asset class. So if you look at just our strategy uh, since it was incepted, the return net of fees has been two and a half times of government money funds since inception. And so um, the ability to 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 go above and beyond what money funds can do and lock in that extra yield can be really powerful. Um, we, we think that will persist uh, in the current environment. I do think we'll be in a higher for longer yield environment for a little while longer here, and that should keep driving some pretty uh, impressive returns from the ultra short space. So, and I, and I completely agree. And we have, um, and our listeners know as well, we'll get deeper into this conversation a bit, but we have a barbell strategy on. Mm-hmm. And I've been a big proponent of, listen, the yield curve is inverted. You know, you're not supposed to dismiss the short end, even though we were a bit surprised at the strength of the consumer. You know, we do believe that you should be starting locking in that seven to ten year. You don't ignore that short end. So mm-hmm. we've had we've had this barbell on. We'll continue to have this barbell on. 
But when we think about, say, this upcoming meeting in mm-hmm. September, you know, I'll tell you, CIO's view is that they don't move, they skip this time. We put in November to a 50-50. You know, although this podcast won't, be, this podcast will be live after the CPI we, for for you and I in this in this um, room right now, we haven't seen the CPI report yet, so we know that'll be a driver. But you know, a couple things I wanted to ask is, you know, how do you think a the shift in monetary policy, okay, when there is one? Um, will impact such as, say, short end, when it, whether it's reinvestment risk, yep. or how do you foresee, say, um, this overall tightness and this higher for longer, yep. right, and inverted yield curve might affect fixed income in general? Yep. Yeah, you know, obviously this is kind of the main topic of debate we've all been having for what feels like a long time now. I think when you when you look at the Fed and what they're doing, I'd say the Fed is still in play. Um, I, I wouldn't, I agree, I, I wouldn't expect them to do much in September, uh, the term we're using internally is that of an insurance hike, potentially in November. Uh, inflation is falling, but it's still too high. So, you know, while the economy is holding on, maybe they get an insurance hike in there. So I still think the Fed is in play for hikes. I think one point I would make, even if they pause after that, if inflation continues to fall the way it has been, the Fed is still tightening. So I, I think a lot of folks might think, oh, they're not hiking anymore. We're leveling off. Well, no, policy will still be getting tighter. And, and, and I think that really matters for how we look at where the economy's headed. There's two main factors in my mind that have led to the resiliency that you mentioned of the economy. And one is while the Fed was tightening monetary policy, we had a lot of fiscal support. And that's taken place a couple different ways, but specifically um, the stimulus payments that led to all the excess savings that consumers in the United States have. Um, I've seen some estimates that said those excess savings were exhausted early in 2023, and I've seen some estimates that said there's still about $1.4 trillion of those excess savings out there. But most folks agree it peaked sometime in 21, and there's less support now from excess savings. But that's one factor that's really helped with resiliency. The second factor is the Fed. Yes, they hiked 500 basis points, but policy just got restrictive over the past few months. So whether you look at Fed policy versus inflation or Fed policy versus a neutral rate, uh, we were below water on that. And so, you know, how did we handle 500 basis points of rate increases is because inflation was as high as it was. And we really just caught up over the past couple of months. But we're restrictive now. So when you combine that with the lower excess savings, it's reasonable to expect some things to start to change in the economy, and that'll flow through to markets. Um, I think you'll start to see interest rates behave a little bit dif- differently. The Fed is still in play, um, but but you know, short-end rates still could have a little way to go here. Um, and it's it's going to shift us from a world of the resilient growth we've seen to one of slowing growth. You know, the way I like to describe it is, you know, I don't think the storm clouds are gathering, but it's starting to get less sunny right now. And that'll have some impacts as we go forward. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, we think as resilient as the consumer is, and, and you made a very, very valid point, because I don't think people know either how much this excess savings there is remaining, right? But we all we all agree that the cushion has been more, you know, we know that, you know, most consumers locked in mortgage rates that are much lower than what we see today that gave them that excess to go out to dinner or to buy an airline ticket, all these kinds of these sort of spending habits that we weren't anticipating. But when we think about interest rates going forward, just in general, both the short and say, you know, the tenure part, I mean, we did start locking in um, around that 7 to 10 and we kept a barbell, as I mentioned, around the 4% level. Um, we've gotten to a high of 436 this year, which is higher than what we saw in 2022. What is your view, sort of, on interest rates going forward? And I know it's a difficult sort of answer mm-hmm. because it does. We were a bit surprised with the third quarter GDP, even though we haven't had it yet. Yep. It'll be likely be above trend. 
So how do you see that going forward? Yep. So, so starting with the front end, like I said, I, I think the Fed's still in play. We, we still risks are still skewed to the upside a little bit for front end rates, thinking mostly about the the, the two year Treasury. I, I don't think it's the dramatic risk that we saw from late twenty one through most of twenty two, um, but but still some upside risk there, but not um, you know the, the the days of you know um, twenty five basis point moves on the two year are are likely behind us. Uh, so, so a little bit more in hand there. Out the curve, I, I think I might have a, a slightly differentiated view. I, I think you need to be a little careful out the curve. Um, like I said, my view on the economy is, you know, it, it, it's not falling apart, but it's getting less sunny. But that, that's a resilient economy still. And I think interest rate curves, as inverted as they are, are inconsistent with a resilient economy. And, and I, I, I do worry a little bit in the 10 and 30 year part of the curve if, um, you know, if we've all gotten comfortable, but the neutral rate of interest is now three, three and a half percent. To me, that seems to put a bit of a floor under the 10 year and the, the long end of the curve. And, and so, um, you know, a little more comfortable with the front end. Fed's not done yet. Still a little bit of concern towards the longer end of the curve. So just out of curiosity, how do you then, and I'm going to, I'm going to shift to the CMBS market just for a second, but I also want to talk about very quickly because we have this kind of, you know, um, process or outlook where, you know, and I'm sure you've heard this before, the yield versus shield, right? Yield is going to have the short end. That's my carry. But if I want total return, I need to take on a more interest mm-hmm. rate risk, right? Mm-hmm. That's what fixed income is about. i got to lock in longer, mm-hmm. right? Equity market's done really well. Okay, we, we know that much better than what we expected, you know, in terms initially, even if it is through, you know, the megas or a few AIs um, that, that we all know, but still it's done well. So for investors to kind of get both that, that yield and have it that total return, you know, interest rate risk, right, mm-hmm. to sort of that the hedge comes back yep. between fixed income and the equity market. And as we look in terms of sectors that might be relatively cheap to get that way, like CMBS, um, which by the way, we're neutral on right now. Okay. What is your, to- what is your sort of outlook in, on, on those, what you would say are laggards, meaning that corporate credit's done much better than mortgage credit this sure. year. So how do you sort of view that going forward? Yeah, I think corporate bonds uh, returns have been, been really strong this year. We saw uh, a pretty resilient spread bounce back after the the regional banking issues in March. Uh, there are some opportunities in high quality ABS right now. Uh, I think you can get some some pretty rock solid structures that offer competitive spread and yield versus corporate bonds. So um, we are making some shifts, you know, out of probably triple B corporate bonds into some some higher quality asset backed securities. Um, commercial real estate that you mentioned is is um, a larger issue to unpack. Uh, I'm glad you said that you're neutral because it's it's too big of a market to just paint with one broad brush, right? So when we look at commercial real estate, that there are problems. You know, there was trillions of dollars of loans underwritten since the financial crisis in a low rate environment. We're now in a higher rate environment that puts property values underwater. Uh, a meaningful amount of those loans are floating rate. So when you have a maturity wall like we do, 2023 to 2025, when you have roughly one and a half trillion dollars of loans maturing. Uh, in a floating rate environment, that that's pretty challenging for those borrowers to roll over those loans. A um, couple points there that I think really jives w- with what you said about being neutral. First, um, this is going to take a while to play out. You know, uh, commercial leases tend to be five to ten years, and there's abilities. Landlords have a lot of abilities to extend and work with their with, with their tenants, and so. Um, that makes this not an overnight issue, but one that's going to stretch out for three, five years or or even longer. Um, and, and I think that's why, you know, we're seeing delinquencies rise in CMBS. 
Um, they're certainly higher than they were this time last year, but they're way below whatever crisis period you would look at, whether it's the financial crisis or or the COVID crisis. It's a it's a slow moving train. Um, and the last point I'd make, and, and this is the key point we really try to describe for people, is this is not the financial crisis all over again. And so, first of all, the commercial real estate market is a lot smaller than the single-family residential market was in 2008. It's about half the size. There's a lot less leverage. You know, we're not seeing CDO squared of, of CMBS or things like that out there. Um, a lot of commercial real estate, it's really widely held. It's not concentrated in the SIFIs and the systemically important banks. There are Obviously, there is exposure in the regional banks, and, and that's a risk, um, but it's not concentrated in a few really important institutions. Um, and so you pull it together and you combine that with the post-financial crisis underwriting, um, which has been better than the pre-financial crisis underwriting. And I think, you know, describe commercial real estate. There's issues. There's problems that need to be dealt with. It'll be dealt with slowly. Uh, and it's more of a long-term headwind versus a, a cliff risk for the economy. So, I mean, one of the things with that said, I mean, we are, we are neutral on the CMBS side. And I do agree with you that at one point in time, opportunistically, it's going to be fantastic. But it's just too early right now. And I think that... Um, one of the asset class and one of the allocations that we've had that we discussed, we have favorite high quality, right? We've, we've favored high quality this year at IG, you know, agency, MBS. Um, it's just been one of our sectors given the fact, not only just because we, we thought the economy would slow sooner, but also because we just felt that there's no reason to move down in credit quality to get that carry when you're getting ample amount of carry in high quality. Obviously, senior loans are up 11, 10, 9, 10%. High yield market's up eight, you know, we've got triple C's as one of the best performers this year in terms of the high yield. Um, you know, so we have to sort of take a step back and say, you know, why has this occurred or does it alter our view in terms of wanting high quality going forward? For us in this stage of the cycle, it does not. And like, and you pointed out very amply that there's a lot of cash that should still be put to work, whether it's in the short end or whatever it might be. How do you see that going forward in terms of the demand? Do you think that as we stay higher for longer, for a longer period of time, the shift even the demand even increases for that higher quality as the fed lag takes impact impacts the economy and the consumer yeah yeah we're, so we're we're totally on the same page with this one i think high quality fixed income in a world even a world that's getting less sunny moving up in credit quality to high quality fixed income investment grade fixed income really makes a lot of sense and and um you know you could look at you know just high yield index for example right now sure you get 8.5% yield but your spread as a percentage of yield is the lowest it's been since 2007 so um, there's nothing to say the economy couldn't persist for a while here. Um, but as we're moving, you know, into a world where the Fed policy is restrictive, favoring high quality makes a lot of sense. The yield, especially in the front end, especially in the ultra short area, is a really powerful driver of returns. If you look year to date, um, the Bloomberg Ag Index has returned 59 basis points. Corporate bond index has returned 1.9 basis points. And the ultra short strategy is a little bit above 4%. So, so you really back to your barbell, that front end of the barbell can be a really powerful driver of returns in this yield environment. So as I mean, as I, this is great, and I really appreciate your time, but I did want to leave it with you with, with some final thoughts and anything that you're thinking about in terms of how you're guiding your clients, what you think about the market. I mean, that can be, it could be U.S., it could be EM, but however you want to look at it. We're just, I mean, just any final thoughts you have that would help our um, advisors and clients going forward. Sure, yeah, and thanks again for having me in today. The... Um, you know, the, the message I give is, is at a high level, you know, the, the trends that have been driving the economy since the pandemic, that have been supporting the economy since the pandemic are changing. They're, they're not um, turning disastrous overnight. But like I said, you know, it's getting less sunny. 
Um, and eventually we'll get to a point where storm clouds gather. I'm, I'm not a big believer in soft landings. It's just a matter of how long it, it takes to get there. Right. So in that kind of um, in-between type environment, I think the Fed's on hold. I think that leaves a lot of yield in the front end. And, and I think that's a really um, compelling setup for ultra short funds to deliver some of the best risk-adjusted returns across the fixed income universe. Great. Well, again, you know, thank you so much. And I think this will be a very good guide and, and a fantastic guide for our clients and advisors because that short end has been in such in high demand. It, it does well in terms of our allocation, but I agree with you. Um, I think the one thing the market has gotten finally right is adjusting to accepting the higher for longer, which will leave those short end yields, I think, high for a period of time. So thanks so much. I really appreciate you being on. Great. Thank you. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.